cash conversion cycle is when you spend money today and when you get an actual return on investment on it. And I feel like, especially in our industry and really any industry, a business owner drops money and then they freak the hell out in 30 days when they're like, oh my God, I spent 30 grand last month or 10 grand and I'm not getting a return. Um, but the reality is the colder the channel, the longer the conversion cycle. So if you're doing cold calling, texting, RVM, any of those, and you drop a dollar today, the cash conversion cycle by industry standard stat is about nine months. So what does that mean? It means when I spend a dollar today, takes about four to five months for the lead to go into contract. And then another 30 to 45 days, if you're wholesaling it, another 90 plus days, if you're rehabbing it. So if you're going to double down on marketing this month or decide to grow, just know that you won't be, you won't perform consistently from that dollar spent for months down the road. Mike check. I'm good. Mike check. Mike check. You can read about success all day long, but if you don't put in the work, the mindset, execution, and the hustle behind your vision, it just remains a dream. When everything goes wrong, you have to take all the responsibility. We uncover what high-level entrepreneurs, business owners do to rise up from hustling daily. So do what you feel passionate about. Take chances. The world becomes your library to help you become better at your craft. Join me as I share with you actionable tips to help you grow your business, learn skills, and help you level up in your self-development journey. Your number one spot for business and personal growth is the Online Hustlers Podcast with your host, Esteban Andrade. Every day I'm hustling. One thing that I want to cover that Josh mentioned some time ago, and I wrote it down here, is um, people are not measuring and, and understanding why they do what they do, they're not measuring metrics. You also said it yourself, uh, Tiffany, why was it to your structure like that? No, like, why is it? And what are you guys doing right now? What are those things that you are absolutely measuring and that are crucial in order to make true decisions? I think it's important, especially from a sales leadership perspective, a sales management perspective, to know and understand the process. Um, and what I mean by that is if you can visualize this flow being, you have a certain amount of leads. These leads are obviously opportunities that we can call. Those calls are going to lead to conversations, which will lead to quality conversations. Those quality conversations become offers, contracts, which is the end result profit, right? Um, so if we can visualize this as a flow, as long as we know our conversions we're looking at this day in and day out. We're looking at this every single week. This is giving us a true pulse, the health of this flow or our business. And if we don't know the health of our business, it's just like a doctor's checkup. If you don't go to the doctor every year to check on your health, how do you know if you're sick or not? So we need to make sure that we have an idea of the health of this flow. And then based on the, the conversions that we're seeing, well, there will be red flag indicators that are jumping out at you saying, oh, hey, there's something wrong here. So some of the things that we track are uh, the number of quality conversations that we have, we call it a process, the number of offers that we make, and the number of deals that our acquisition people are contributing. Now, I see a ton of people in the industry, they're tracking the wrong metrics. And what I mean by that is they're tracking or at least have a minimum expectation on a dial count every single day, or they have a minimum expectation on talk time every day. Now, the problem with that is you're really incentivizing your team to go do the wrong activities. 
And think of this example. And this is something that I experienced um, early on in our, in our real estate career when we had a team and I had a minimum expectation of a hundred dials per day. And I would go out to the sales floor with about two hours left and I'd go to everyone and I'd say, how many dials do you have? How many dials do you have? How many dials do you have? And um, I never forget this one guy looked at me. He goes, Oh shoot. I only have 50 dials. I have to do twice as much in the next two hours of what I've done in the last six. So what did he do? He even said out loud, I'm going to go call the leads. It was a, a specific category called the discovery. I'm going to go call these leads because I know they're not going to answer the phone. They're really old in the system. They're not going to answer the phone and it'll be an opportunity for me to rack up my dials. Well, I thought in that moment, I was like, that, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to go get on the phone with someone that you, that you think you can close. Um, so that was a huge light bulb for me. I'm incentivizing the wrong activities by putting a minimum expectation on this. So that's when we shifted and we said, no, let's forget that. I want you to go to the list or the campaign or the lead status that's going to get you the next qualified person on the phone who we can make an offer to and land a contract with. Uh, so we really shifted our focus to the, the um, KPIs that are actually moving the needle forward, the quality conversations, the offers that we're making and the deals that we're getting. Wow. Yeah, and then on our side, um, our transaction coordinator fills out metrics from closed properties. So things like, um, and that report shows us things like how many days is a lead in the system until it goes into contract by campaign? You know, how long does it take to close on the first close, the second close? Um, what's my average cost per lead, cost per contract? Uh, and then we break that down by campaign so we can start paying attention is, you know, certain marketing channels just not working. Should we spend more on one channel versus the other? Um, if we aren't tracking these things, then you're just operating in a fly-by-night company. So you guys are definitely tracking every single number in every department that you have. In so let's start with sales, right? Josh, uh, you mentioned quality conversations. I don't, even, I don't even know if like people right now that are listening would ever think I need to measure a quality conversation. Like obviously that the sales department will have like everything in the operations back end and everything. Um, but in sales, why is measuring quality conversation important to you? Yeah, the biggest thing is we want to track the activities again that really move the needle forward. Now we are looking from a leadership perspective, we are looking at the dial count because at the end of the day, that's an effort piece. But I don't want my team laser focused on where do I go to go get 50 more dials. I want them to be thinking, where do I go to get the next deal? And that's where the quality conversation comes into play. If, if I'm thinking in that light, then I have a totally different answer than if I walked up to a sales guy and said, where are you going to go to get 50 more dials in the next 30 minutes? And I think that also helps, uh, for example, getting your callers or whoever is doing your follow-up and into transforming and having a mindset of a closer mindset. How can we make sure that whatever I'm doing is going to be to close deals? It's going to be, and the end result is going to help the company receive the revenue, right? And therefore I get my, my commissions or however, however you have it structured. That's, I think that's brilliant. Uh, for, so for every single, let's say every single type of role inside of your organization, you guys are measuring having KPIs. What's the question? Does every single role employee or just and have KPIs uh, yes. that are measured right now? Yeah, when we make sure that they're only focused on the top three to five that move the needle forward, 
all the rest of the metrics are behind the scenes and leadership reports that we're making decisions on or looking for red flag indicators. Okay, awesome. So for instance, uh, Tiffany, uh, with, with the team that you manage right now, what are, what are the crucial KPIs that is making maybe everything, everything really move? Yeah. Um, so actually Josh runs the day to day right now. I raise all the money, the marketing and the systems. Um, as of about three to four weeks ago, I have removed myself from the day to day. Um, so I'm in every week's level 10 meeting and I'm paying attention to where's revenue, where's expenses, where's profits, what deals are closing. And then every month I have a meeting with my CFO. We look at the previous month. And I'm paying attention to what channels are making sense and what aren't, and then um, and moving and shifting money according to what the data is telling me to do. Oh, that's pretty amazing! Thanks for that share. Actually, that's a huge part. When is Josh going to be fully removed? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. It's uh, it's in the works, um, but you know, one big thing that our focus has been this year is leading leaders. So we've talked a lot about getting yourself to a position to be a leader, to lead the frontline individuals. Um, but in order to take that next step and truly put yourself in the, in the owner seat, you have to, you have to put other leadership in place. And that's a totally different concept when you start talking, uh, leading other leaders who are leading the frontline. So right now we're in the process of grooming uh, some people into those positions. Uh, but as far as like a, a timeline, it could be three months, could be six months, could be 12 months. Um, it's, it's just kind of a, a week by week thing right now. We have a game plan in place and uh, we're executing on that game plan. Wow. Okay. One of the things, guys, that I actually found when I went and took the two days is that at the very beginning, you guys made sure to set the right expectations of what really this is going to take. And you guys have specific metrics that you measure for marketing channels. And I feel like people do not really think about this at all or ever uh, on the sales conversion cycles, like what it takes. You guys have measured your metrics so well that you know how much, for instance, cold calling takes, how much your direct mail takes, how much your PPC, your Facebook. Um, what has this been? Why is this a game changer? Cash conversion cycle. Oh, okay. I'm like, what is the question? Yeah. Um, yeah. So cash conversion cycle is when you spend money today and when you get an actual return on investment on it. And I feel like, especially in our industry and really any industry, a business owner drops money and then they freak the hell out in 30 days when they're like, oh my God, I spent 30 grand last month or 10 grand and I'm not getting a return. Um, but the reality is the colder the channel, the longer the conversion cycle. So if you're doing cold calling, texting, RVM, any of those, and you drop a dollar today, the cash conversion cycle by industry standard stat is about nine months. So what does that mean? It means when I spend a dollar today, it takes about four to five months for the lead to go into contract. And then another 30 to 45 days, if you're wholesaling it, another 90 plus days, if you're rehabbing it. So if you're going to double down on marketing this month or decide to grow, just know that you won't be, you won't perform consistently from that dollar spent for months down the road. Um, and one of the big ones that's always like a shell shocker too, is I just started doing really heavy direct mail last year. And, you know, my cash conversion cycle right now is about six months. So if I drop 45, 50 grand on mail this month, I'm not going to research 
receive a ROI on it for six plus months. Now, not a lot of people can stomach 50,000 a month for six months until they can get a return on it. And that's, what's going to make or break someone being in the business a year from now. Okay. Now you guys are measuring every single channel and for example, direct mail, which is taking you six months, right? About with uh, direct mail. Um, does this apply for every single market in the United States? Or do you think it's like depending on the market? Like, does this apply for every single market in the United States? For instance, if I go to Detroit, is it going to be the same sales conversion cycle? The same time. Yeah, I would say that um, every marketing campaign has a pretty common industry standard stat. Okay. I would say that the states that have attorney states might even be longer. Yeah, I think it's just um, it, one that if the more educated you are, the less anxiety you'll have. And I think a lot of my students' anxiety comes around their growth where, um, I mean, I'll be honest, years ago when I was telling myself I was hiring, hiring more people, investing in more marketing, all these things, you know, I didn't make a ton of money on the ladder up because I, every dollar that got made got put back into continuously increasing marketing and hiring people and all that. And when I, like I said, when I spend a dollar today, I don't make it for nine months. So you can't go into it with the mindset that you will. And that's when people shut down, they have anxiety, um, they make decisions out of fear. So, or they make lack of decisions out of fear, such as hiring another person, because I always get the common response of, well, I need to make a little bit more money consistently, and then I'll do this. Well, that's not how this works. This is why you need to do it so you can make more money consistently. And if you keep doing what you're doing, you're just going to keep getting the same result. Um, and so I think that when that's why someone in our industry, I mean, you have to go all in or just don't do it, to be honest with you. Um, now, I think that there's definitely money to be made of doing um, even having a career and doing a house at a time or a couple houses, cause you can buy them off wholesalers. But the reality is, is if you want to perform consistently, you've got to invest consistently, hire consistently and keep growing, or it's going to die off in a time like today, when a recession's hitting, that's really what's gonna, um, you know, take the boys from the men in the industry, to be honest, or the girls from the women. <laughs> it yeah, really is. It's gonna it's gonna separate them. I think a lot of people are are just going to start dropping the oh I I want to get into the wholesaling game or oh I've been in wholesaling like oh my god like uh, recession is happening I don't have the pans the balls to keep going I don't understand my numbers and you're just gonna let people like you guys or people that are really into the game become even wealthier because now the opportunities are there you guys understand it understand the real wealth. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people pulling back a little bit right now, or it's one or the other. If you're a rehabber, I see them, you know, tiptoeing and pulling back a little bit and then they're jumping into wholesaling, um, because they think that that's the answer. And it makes the people who stay in the game and still rehab and do all these things, the big players, we're just going to pivot. We're just going to adjust our numbers and adjust it according to the market. So, um, I just think that some of the upcoming months are really going to make or break people based on how they plan and watch their numbers. Yeah. Have you had any type of hiccups lately with people calling it recession right now uh, that, that, that maybe have affected you deals? 
Uh, no, we've uh, we've had a couple of hedge funds in the market that have paused buying. Um, but one of the biggest things we've always been strict on in our office is that we never put a contract in place with a hedge fund that we can't take down ourselves. All right. So people are still buying. There's still people, buyers in the market. Maybe it will not be the same buyers, but people still doing deals. Correct. And what do you, what do you say to those people that are listening and be like, wow, um, I don't think I'm going to be successful if interest rates are going up, can't uh, buy and hold properties because like, doesn't not, it's not going to make sense. Um, what do you say to those people? Stack your cash and get ready. There's going to be opportunities. So I, mean, cash I don't is like cash is king. And right now, are you guys doing something differently inside to uh, to really prepare for for that buying buying very low uh, in your company? I would say the biggest thing right now is we're not relying on hedge funds because they are pulling out literally days before closing. Um, and we've changed our criteria from an underwriting perspective. We want to make sure that when we're looking at comps, we can't speculate anymore like you used to. You used to be able to say, oh, it'll probably get 10 or 20 over list. You can't do that anymore. Um, so we're just being conservative when we're looking at our ARVs and, and in our underwriting. Okay. How about marketing? Are you guys marketing harder, staying consistent the same? We're actually marketing harder right now. Wow. Okay. You guys, where are you guys double dipping? Um, we're actually testing out some new direct mail stuff. Um, we're actually pulling heavier lists because I see what I foresee is that there will be people that will drop off because they won't understand how to pivot or adjust in a new market. Um, and when it comes to like refine, I mean, I actually saw a couple of investors this week that paused buying because their investors are freaking out. And guess what? They had to literally drop out of 20 properties they were in contract on immediate deal right there. And the people that are ready for it, they're equipped. They're going to be the ones that get to take advantage of these things. Yeah, I think um, just educa being educated and associating with the right people is going to is going to make it happen. Uh, obviously, you guys were in the uh, during the crash, but were you guys investor during the last recession? Were you guys doing investing during the last recessions? Um, no, I had just bought in rental properties at the last recession, but our, I, again, it's another one of those things where you need to make sure you have a mentor that's been through it. So right now we have a few mentors that have lived it. It's they've both lived two recessions. Um, and so that's why it's important. If you got into the game in the last few years, you need to make sure that you're looking up to someone that's adapting, pivoting, adjusting, um, and pay attention to who's growing, not getting smaller.